Welcome to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. On this month's episode, we are going to examine one of the historical buildings slash organizations on Western Avenue. This month, we are going to cover the history of the Century Club. The Century Club got its start first as the Muskegon Club. It was established in March 1st, 1887. It began with 140 members signed up. On this date, the group met to discuss what the membership dues would be and what the rules for the club would be. Much of the talk was on offices and who would be elected, but they also set hours, 8 a.m. to midnight on weekdays and noon to 10 on Sundays. However, all games had to cease five minutes before these closing times. They discussed what types of games would be allowed, including whist, pool, and billiards, but also what games weren't allowed, such as games of chance like poker. Course language was also not to be permitted in the club. The fee for the club was set at $15 initially, then $24 yearly, or $300 for a lifetime membership, which would be around $8,000 today. The problem was they didn't have a building, so they rented room in the Opera House on 2nd Street. Committees discussed a lot as to what to do for a permanent home, including building along Clay Avenue on 1st Street, 2nd Street, or 3rd Street. Another plan floated was combining their building with a new library building and reading room, or running the upper floors of another business. Eventually, they settled on a plan submitted by John Torrent to build a building with stores on the bottom and a club on top. This was to be located near 2nd Avenue and Clay. This project went ahead, although the lower floor of the building changed to being a hotel. They got some walls and a foundation up and was looking good even in January 5th of 1888. But then suddenly, as of January 23rd, the Muskegon Club is approving a plan of L.G. Mason and voting to break the plan with Torrent to make a new building. A month later, Torrent resigns as president of the Muskegon Club. As much as I looked, I could not find out what happened. There was an earlier mention of having to redo the foundation, so that could have been part of it, or maybe Torrent decided against building his hotel. Whatever the cause, they decided to build a new building on Western Avenue near the corner of 2nd Street. This lot and building was thought to be erected for the cost of about $15,000. The original plan was to have billiards and bowling alley in the basement with offices, card room, and reading rooms above, and finally a ballroom on the top floor. On May 24, 1888, work began on the new clubhouse. This time, the work would be completed. In October 25, 1888, the King Chronicle describes the building as it was nearing completion. The outside is made of pressed red brick ornament with red tile. Its main feature is, however, the massive stone entrance in the form of an arch and reached by a flight of steps. The massiveness of the entrance arch is relieved by an ornamental iron grill. Now, if you have never been into the Century Club, you need to pause this and wait until you get a chance to, or hit play when you get there so you can follow along, because I'm going to give a good description of the rooms and what they were for. If you have been there, picture it in your mind and compare to what you see today. Continuing from the Chronicle, Entering the massive archway and passing through the amble vestibule, one finds himself in a broad hallway extending nearly to the back of the building. The hallway will be paved with tile. On the right hand are two large parlors, each 18 by 88 feet. The front one is a reception parlor, and the other will be known as a banquet parlor. These rooms occupy the entire half of the building and are connected by sliding door. On the left-hand side of the entrance is a reading room, 14 foot by 18 foot, looking out upon Western Avenue. A large section of the left half of the building is taken up by the broad stairway leading to the second floor. This stairway is at right angles with the hall and consists of two flights and a landing. 
Behind the stairway is a cloakroom and toilet rooms, also the stairs leading to the basement. Next to the stairway, a little further on, in the hall is the office. Next to the office, going towards the back of the building, is the storage room. Back of the storage room are three card rooms, 9 foot by 16 foot, and connected with each other by ordinary doorways. The hall opens directly upon one of these rooms, which is also connected with the banquet parlor. This room would be at the end of the hall in the middle of the building, if you can't picture its location, kind of where you check out today. In the basement are a bowling alley with two runs, a billiard room, a smoking room, and a bathroom. The second floor contained a large 41 foot by 47 foot assembly hall. The ceiling is high and divided into large panels by massive girders, which are supported at their ends by carved oak brackets. The rest of the floor is divided into parlors. Of these, there are two suites, each comprising two parlors and toilet rooms, the parlors divided by a curtain. The interior finish is red oak throughout, except in the basement, which will be finished in natural pine. A pretty fitting description of the building layout today, with a few minor changes. The plans for this were created by Sidney Osgood of Grand Rapids, and the contractor was named Doran from Grand Rapids as well. L.G. Mason, A.V. Mann, and C.T. Hills, all three lumber barons, were the building committee for the club. On January 12th of 1889, the club finally moved into their new building. Then, on January 25th, they held the dedication reception. The Chronicle describes the reception in detail, and I'll paraphrase parts of that. Their opinion of it was quite superb. Quote, The evening was perfect. The clubhouse was a palace of glittering splendor and beauty. The guests, 300 in number, were at their level best as to elaborate costumes and exuberant spirits, the result being a combination of richness, beauty, and festivity long to be remembered and seldom, if ever, to be surpassed. The decor was heavy with flowers. Upon entering the building, you were met with white and red carnations, which were arranged as a monogram for the club. Ferns, roses, and smilax were used to decorate mantles and chandeliers. Various plants were also stationed on the stairs and throughout the rooms. Guests arrived at 8 p.m. and the orchestra played music while they mingled. At 9 p.m., the dancing began on the new assembly floor while others broke off to play cards, pool, or billiards, and bowling. At 11 o'clock, the banquet hall was opened for choice refreshments, which were served by N.A. Barney of the Occidental Hotel. The party would continue on until 2 a.m. While the Muskegon Club was a social club for men, they did occasionally allow women to come visit besides for galas and dances. A month after opening the new club, they voted to change the rules to allow women in on Wednesdays from 2 to 6 p.m. and the first and third Fridays from 7 p.m. till closing, which was midnight. The club would continue to host parties throughout the year, including many theme parties such as their February basket picnic party, where guests wore summer costumes and brought food in picnic baskets. I guess in the 1890s they were still trying to forget about Michigan winters and look forward to spring. Card tournaments for whist were also popular. Whist is a 18th and 19th century card game similar to Euchre except played with a full deck of cards. I guess Euchre has long been a fixture of Michigan. On January 1st, 1901, the Muskegon Club closed down. For a period of about a month, repairs and updates were underway to the cost of $800. Part of this included a new billiards table, laying hardwood floors, and new furniture and carpet. The bowling lanes were also expanded to make them the standard length as they were originally built short. When the updates were finished, the club was reorganized as the Century Club in honor of the new century. One of the biggest draws for the Century Club was its bowling lanes, 
and they hosted a bowling team for many years against other Muskegon clubs and businesses. On March 1, 1945, the club reached a huge milestone, the last payment of the mortgage on the building. So how to celebrate if you're the Century Club? Well, of course, with a party. On April 7th, they threw a stag mortgage burning party with games, drinks, dinner, and of course, the burning ceremony at 10 p.m. Freedom from debt didn't last too long, as in 1949, the building was remodeled. At this time, the club had around 400 total members. By 1956, they had 500 members and were doing quite well. In November of 1974, work began on the Muskegon Mall. This project would include the Century Club building, leaving it connected to the mall but just outside the complex. Yet another remodel of the clubhouse building would occur in the 1970s and 80s, with the club reopening its doors on November 9, 1981. At this time, the club was open to members and their spouses at all times. It contained several private dining rooms, a bar, kitchens, a library, and a dance floor. In 1991, after 90 years of being the Century Club and being a social club building for over 100 years, the Century Club closed down. However, the history of the building was not over. In 2001, the Muskegon Mall closed and demolition of it began in 2003. Positioned just outside of the mall and being historical, the building avoided being taken down and would become home of Hegg's Furniture in 2007. In 2011, small shops moved in to fill the main floor of the building to form the Century Club Retail Center in areas where reading and card rooms had been previously. In the basement, where bowling alleys and pool tables once existed, there is the Red Lotus Center for the Arts, an arts hub for those who want to create and display their works. In 2012, the second floor opened up as a ballroom for rental, returning it to its original purpose from when it opened as the Muskegon Club. Today, the building is one of the fixtures along Western Avenue and is visited by residents and tourists alike who are looking for new wines to try, unique shopping, artworks, or, my favorite, some chocolates to satisfy a sweet tooth. If you have any comments or memories of the Century Club, we'd love to hear about them. Please subscribe to our channel on your podcasting service to hear more episodes, and we hope to have you back next month when we cover the 10 hours or no sawdust strike of 1881.